Good morning, friends. Uh, today's message is called More Than an Afterthought, Six Reasons Jesus' Ascension Matters. You know, the last time I preached at Praise and Worship was January 3rd, and only eight people were there, uh, four who did not know we were not doing in-person worship. Three were visitors, one was a member, the other four were Joel, Anthony, Lair, and me. But since then, we've been sort of in and out due to COVID, but now we're back. A few of the major church celebrations were not held in person yet, whether in person or online. We celebrated Ash Wednesday without ashes and Palm Sunday without palms. And Maundy Thursday, where we celebrated the institution of, of communion, a Good Friday, and then Easter Sunday. Then for the last 50 days, we have continued that celebration as Pastor Mark has been sharing the Resurrection Chronicles out of First Corinthians. They're exciting times, but let's be honest. Uh, how many of you, besides me, were equally excited to uh, show up at a service today in person or online to celebrate Jesus' ascension? And I ask that because, after all, not many churches do. I remember my first church at Emmanuel Lutheran in Belvedere, Illinois, we had a, an Ascension service the first year I was there. It was on a Thursday evening. It was a beautiful day, even though we had grades 5 to 8 set to sing. Uh, as driving to church, I was watching people barbecuing and mowing the lawn and planting flowers. And I thought, man, nobody's going to come. And when I got a little bit closer to church, I saw a lot of cars kind of lined up. But I discovered they were basically just lined up, dropping their kids off to sing while they went probably to the Dairy Ripple to have an ice cream cone or a Sunday. Well, needless to say, that service that night had about 35 kids up in the balcony, along with their choir director, who also served as the organist, my associate, Gene Willie, and myself, and about 10 people. And when the service was all over, we kind of looked at each other and said, we don't need to do that again. Well, I'd suggest to you that we kind of made a mistake and should have found a better way to do this. But perhaps the reason this happens in many places is that we view Easter as the end of why Jesus was sent. I mean, after all, the cross and the empty tomb are at the very heart of the gospel message. So for many, Jesus' ascension is simply an afterthought to Good Friday and Easter. But today I want to highlight six aspects of Jesus' ascension in hopes that this climactic event in Jesus' earthly life will no longer be an afterthought. Here's thought number one. Jesus continues to work after the ascension. In the first book, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. Now, there in Acts, uh, we have a small but important word. The word is began. It signals that Jesus' ascension does not mark the cessation, but the continuation of his work as Lord and Messiah. That's why Luke's second book is called Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus, where he works from heaven through his people by the Spirit for the accomplishment of God's purposes. Now, second, the ascended Jesus sends the Spirit to his people. In Luke 24:49, it says, After his resurrection, Jesus told his followers, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then in his Pentecost sermon, in Acts chapter 2, Peter explains this. He says, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And even in the Old Testament, God made this promise in Joel chapter 2, verse 28. 
I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And this promise is fulfilled by the exalted Lord Jesus. So you see, the ascended Lord sent the spirit to be present with his people to empower them for worldwide mission and to transform believers to live new lives reflecting King Jesus. Well, third, Jesus' ascension is his heavenly enthronement as king. At his ascension, he's installed as the true king of the world. Now, according to the Apostles' Creed, it says he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. In Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, Jesus is taken up to heaven in a cloud, and Stephen declares in Acts 7, verse 56, that he sees the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, that's kind of interesting. We see he sits at the right hand. Stephen says, I see Jesus in heaven standing. And uh, you kind of wonder why. And I've always thought when Stephen shared his testimony, uh, Jesus heard it and stood up and gave him a standing ovation. You can take that for what it's worth. Well, these texts suggest that Jesus' ascension also fulfills another Old Testament prophecy in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel wrote, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and that ought to trigger something. Son of man was Jesus' favorite term for himself. And he came to the Ancient of Days, that would be his father, and was presented before him. And to him, this son of man, was given dominion and glory in a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So you see, Jesus' kingdom cannot be destroyed. It's not going to pass away. And according to Revelation 3, Jesus conquered and sat down with his father on his throne, whereas Revelation chapter 5 will tell you that he receives unending praise. So Jesus is going to reign at God's right hand until all of his enemies are subdued under his feet. So in other words, God's kingdom has been inaugurated through Jesus' enthronement. Now he sits on heaven's throne and he will return to consummate his kingdom on earth as in heaven. Well, fourth, Jesus' ascension is his return to his father. Before and after his death and resurrection, Jesus said that he was sent by his father and must return to his father. In John 16:28, he said, I came from the father, have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the father. Remember what Jesus said to Mary Magdalene after his resurrection when she saw him outside the tomb and wanted to give him a hug or whatever. In John 20, verse 17, Jesus said, Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. You know, I don't know what you think about family reunions, but I don't think there's been a sweeter reunion in the history of the world than when Jesus returned to his Father. You know, maybe the closest analogy is a courageous wounded soldier returning to his loved ones after a hard-fought victory. So Jesus fully accomplished his mission and glorified the Father on earth, and at his ascension, the Father glorifies his Son in heaven. So friends, take heart. Jesus' homegoing prepares the way for our homegoing as well. And fifth, the ascended Lord Jesus is our heavenly mediator and our high priest. Jesus is the unique mediator between God and man. His death and his resurrection secure our forgiveness, justification, reconciliation. But note also that the exalted Lord Jesus is now in heaven interceding for his people as our high priest and advocate. He's speaking up there on our behalf. During his earthly ministry, Jesus' work was you know, geographically limited. He didn't take off on a weekend one time and go to Ethiopia to teach and, and then took a month doing healing services in China. 
But now he works everywhere. He's able to hear and respond to prayers, no matter the time or place. And he sympathizes with our struggles. And we've all had them. And he sympathizes and promises to do whatever we ask in his name. Well, six, the ascended Jesus will return as king and judge. In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, two angels explain this to the disciples. They say, this Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So you see, Jesus' heavenly reign will one day be fully realized on earth. This is the very thing we ask for when we pray the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer in Matthew 6.10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that is the return. Jesus will execute divine judgment, separating the sheep and the goats, vindicating his downtrodden people and judging his enemies. Philippians 2 makes this very clear. It says, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now the question is, quoting uh, Martin Luther, what does this mean? I mean, what does this mean for our lives? Now, even though often overlooked, the ascension completes Jesus' earthly ministry and signifies his enthronement as heavenly king. Jesus completed his father's mission, and he now rules with all authority, and he intercedes with all sympathy as our mediator and high priest. Here are just four implications of Jesus' ascension and a challenge. First of these is just to remember. Remember Jesus is presently reigning as king and remains active and engaged in our world and in our lives. And second, therefore, we need to live boldly and confidently and strategically as servants of the King of Heaven and know that your labors for the Lord are not in vain. And third, for those of you who suffer, take heart that Jesus is not indifferent to that. He's, he endured great suffering and is the most merciful and sympathetic counselor and mediator. So you can take your cares to the ascended Lord who hears those prayers and responds with all of Heaven's authority. And finally, there is hope in a glorious future. The ascended Lord will return someday as judge and king. He will abolish injustice. He will end suffering and destroy death and set up his kingdom of truth, righteousness, and love. And best of all, we will be with him forever. So yes, the resurrection and the ascension testify to the completion and perfection of Jesus' work. But, and there's always a but, isn't there? But let us not forget that this is where our work begins. Because we have been commissioned, marching orders have been given to us. They've been shared with us. Now, starting last fall, I've been teaching the Gospel of Luke at an area church. And as we finished up a month or so ago, I was intrigued by what took place prior to the Ascension story recorded in Luke 25. That story centered on three times of teaching and what it meant for the disciples and for, and for every Christ follower thereafter. First of all, he was walking on the road with the two disciples on the way to Emmaus. Luke twenty four twenty seven says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. How about that? A walking, talking Bible class with Jesus. That's pretty cool. And then he met with his disciples, and in Luke chapter 24, a few verses later, later, 44 and 45, he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that he could understand the scriptures. Another Bible study. And then at his ascension, he does it one more time. It says, After his suffering, he presented himself to them, gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, and he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, 
and spoke about the kingdom of God. So at least three times, Jesus lays out this divine plan. He lays out a great commission. He lays out a promise of the Holy Spirit. And simply put, he opened up scripture and now says, it's up to you. Well, that led me to think about seven different great commissions, all of which are still in force for us as Christ followers. And I want to start with a a favorite of mine. It comes from Luke chapter 6, verse 8. And it's Isaiah writing, and he says, In the king, the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, those are angels with six wings, and with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the Torah boast and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, Isaiah cried. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send, and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am, send me, send me. Now God does call us, but I think we always have to read a little bit further because once he decides, Lord, I'm here, send me, he then in this chapter goes on and he says to the Lord, But who are you going to send me to? And the Lord says to some people with uncircumcised hearts and minds and lips. So Isaiah says one more time, Well, how long do I need to stay there? And the Lord says, I'll let you know. There's also Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power. In the Greek, that's dunamis, dynamite. So we're going to receive dynamite when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. The Greek word here is martus. It's where we get our word martyr. Maybe you're thinking, I didn't sign up to be a martyr. But, but really, you did as a witness. And you're going to be in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Now, you might be thinking, I'm never going to go to Jerusalem. I'm never going to be in Judea. I'm never going to go to Samaria. I'm never going to be other place in this world. I used to think that, but maybe you have to think about it this way. Maybe your Jerusalem is your family, those people closest to you. Maybe your Judea is a little bit wider. It's your your neighborhood, your community. It it, it might even be your county. Uh, Samaria, that could be people that you just don't think you have anything in common with. I mean, I think about the many years I spent in prison with predominantly black population, guys that I consider to be brothers from different mothers. And then to the end of the earth, and I never gave that much thought until I got off an airplane in Johannesburg, South Africa, and my host said, welcome to the ends of the earth. Now, why are we going to do that? Very simply, Matthew twenty four fourteen says in this gospel, this whole story of the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That's what we're looking for, for Jesus to come back again. And so in conclusion, at his ascension, Jesus left the Holy Spirit, and he gave us these three priorities, these challenges. One is to build deeper relationship with Jesus. Well, that involves Bible study and prayer and getting to know Jesus even better each and every day. Secondly, it means building stronger relationships with those who already know Jesus, which is spending time in worship with people or fellow Christ followers in Bible studies. 
And then third, to build relationships with those who still need to know Jesus. He's called you. He wants you to be a gospeler. God bless you in that journey. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.